So I was talking to a friend recently, and he asked me how I was feeling about the holidays. And all of us have different emotions and different feelings about the holidays. We just came through Thanksgiving, and maybe for you, you're Thanksgiving. You love Thanksgiving. There are Thanksgiving holiday people, um, just like there are Halloween holiday people. And, you know, so maybe for you, you love Thanksgiving. You just love just the food and the people. Or maybe Thanksgiving for you this year was kind of rough. Maybe for you, Thanksgiving, maybe you had a big blowout fight with your family. Maybe there's somebody you're not talking to. Maybe there's somebody who came that you wish hadn't come to your Thanksgiving. But then Christmas rolls around, and we all have different emotions about Christmas. And I remember as I was talking to my friend, and he said, well, like, what's your emotion right now about the holidays? And I thought about it, and I thought, I know the emotions that, like, I'm supposed to have, and sometimes I do have those. There are moments where, you know, you, you have this feeling of joy, this feeling of peace, this feeling of calm. But then you also have these moments of feelings of chaos, especially if you're a parent of young kids. Maybe you're like, I would love the emotion of peace and calm at Christmas. But for you, it's just chaos, and you look at your house, and, there's, and it looked like, you know, there was like a, a Christmas decoration, you know, just explosion. It just feels chaotic. I was talking to someone recently, and they said, I just have a lot of dread about Christmas. It's a lot of dread. Because around the holidays, we, we have these different emotions that bubble up. And there, there are songs that remind us of great moments, and then there are songs that remind us of painful moments. There are shows and specials and movies that we'll watch and we'll remember and be like, I remember like sitting on the couch and watching this. But then that same show can also remind us of the person that used to sit on the couch and watch it with us. And so there's all these different emotions that come with it. And this is why I love the season of Advent. Of all the seasons on the church calendar, I love the season of Advent. And for you, you may, maybe you're new and, and you're like, the church calendar, the church has a calendar? The church does have a calendar. Throughout history, the Christian year begins at Advent. That this Sunday, the first Sunday of Advent, is really the New Year's Day for the Christian calendar. Now, here's what's interesting about the Christian calendar. It does not start at Easter. Like, you would think that if, if we were, like, making, you know, the church calendar, we would start at Easter, like, the pinnacle, you know, the resurrection. And, and the resurrection, we'll get to that in a moment. It is incredibly important to the Christian calendar. But the Christian calendar begins with Advent. And Advent, if you don't know, is the season of waiting, the season of longing, the season of yearning, the season of wishing something new. That's where, as, as you look throughout history, as you look throughout Scripture, Advent is where the Christian calendar begins. And this is why I think this is so important, because that is the place, those are the emotions that we most feel throughout the year. Those are the emotions that bubble up and become the strongest, especially at this this time of year. Advent doesn't, the Christian calendar doesn't begin in Lent with giving something up, right? The Christian calendar doesn't begin there. The Christian calendar, like I said, doesn't begin on Good Friday. The Christian calendar begins with the reminder that our daily lives are filled with waiting. They're filled with longing. And they're filled with this picture of hope that something will 
be different. And, and so this is why in this series, we're calling it A Weary World Rejoices, because that is what Advent is about. Advent is about this place where we look back and we know that Jesus came, that Jesus was born, that Jesus died, that Jesus rose from the dead and ascended back into heaven. So we know that God kept his promises when Jesus came. But we also sit here waiting for Jesus to return, and we trust that God keeps his promises, that Jesus will one day return, that all the wrongs of the world will be, will be righted, that all of the pain that we have will be gone, all the death, all the betrayal, all the hurt, it will be gone. And Advent is this place where we go, I, I know it's going to happen, and I'm rejoicing that it's going to happen, but man, I'm really just tired of waiting. I'm really just tired. Like, how long do I wait? Advent is this place where we say, God, we are, we are so grateful that you came, but how long do we have to wait for you to return? And, and you feel this each day. You feel this as you scroll through social media and current events, and you just think, how long am I going to put up with this? You sit in relationships, you go, how long is this going to hurt? You wake up in the morning and your knees crack and you think, how long is this going to hurt? And Advent is this picture of waiting. And this is why in this season, we want to slow down. We want to do moments of readings and reflections because we rush through the busyness of this season. We rush through the busyness of the holidays. But in Advent, each of the candles has a different theme. And the candle for today is the candle of hope. Now, hope is a huge part of Advent because we hope, we fight for the hope that Jesus will return. See, and, and hope is a big part of Christmas. It's part of the songs. It's part of the specials, right? It, it, you know, it's, it's part, I mean, every, literally every single Christmas special has a picture of hope. Even every Hallmark movie has a picture of hope. We hope that there will be a really handsome guy who lives in that small town. That's what we hope in all those Hallmark movies, right? And as a child, as a child, you had all kinds of hope. And if you're, you're a student here today, man, you're hoping, man, I really hope that my parents got me that iPhone 15 Pro Max. Like you are hoping. You are hoping for the PS35. Like you are hoping. But then as you get older, what happens to hope? We, this is what we say as adults. Well, I'm a realist. No, you're not. You're a pessimist. You're not a realist. You're a pessimist. And what happens is our hope starts to just disintegrate, really. We become cynical. We go, well, I know, you know, that, that doesn't happen. Christmas specials don't happen. That doesn't happen. I thought for sure I'd be engaged last Christmas. I didn't get engaged, so it's probably not happening this Christmas. But then on a deeper level, there's also this, well, why would I hope that that person will call me at Christmas? Why would I hope that that person will apologize? Why should I hope that this Christmas will be any different than last Christmas? And so we do that in some ways to protect ourselves, but we get really cynical and we, and we miss hope. Another one that we do is we just get really angry at Christmas. Right? We just get really angry at Christmas. I mean, the, the greatest picture of this is, is just Clark Griswold and, you know, National Lampoons, I mean, he just gets really angry, right? And the older we get, we're like, I understand Clark Griswold. Like, I get it, you know? But we just get really angry at Christmas. But some of us, too, if we're honest, we also just feel really hopeless. We just feel really hopeless. We wonder, is hope real? Is that just a fairy tale? Is that something that little kids just hold on to? 
And the picture of Advent is about hope. Because here's, I want you to think for a moment, as, because today's message is called Fighting for Hope, because that's what Advent's about. And the picture of Advent we often forget is that throughout the Old Testament, there are numerous prophecies about the Messiah, that the people of God waited and waited and waited. And we get to the end of the Old Testament in the book of Malachi, and here's something that we can often forget, is that at the end of Malachi, from Malachi to Matthew is 400 years of silence from God. 400 years of not one prophet, not one miracle, not one thing happening. There is nothing. Just 400 years. Now, I don't know about you. If God doesn't answer my prayer like five minutes after I pray it, I get frustrated. And so you have people throughout these 400 years who go, you know what, like God hasn't, like my parents didn't even hear anything from God and my grandparents didn't hear anything. God's not coming back. But then you also had people who held on to hope, who held on to hope. And so if you're in a place right now where you go, you know what, I don't know that God's out there. I don't know that God's listening. I don't know that God cares. I mean, I've asked God to heal me. I've asked God to change my child. I've asked God to do this. I've asked God to step in here and nothing. If that's where you are, then Advent is your season. Advent's your season. Because in Advent, we learn that hope is never lost. And one of the greatest pictures that we see this in the New Testament is from the Apostle Peter. Now, if you don't know who Peter is, he's one of the disciples of Jesus. He was the oldest disciple. So he kind of had this idea that he was like kind of the older brother. I don't know if you like have a friend or maybe you're the older brother. I don't know if you have that person who's like, I'm in charge and they always let you know that they're in charge. That's Peter. But along with Peter, one of the things I find most relatable about Peter is Peter is really the disciple that messes up the most and the, the New Testament writers are just happy to record it for us. Okay? It's almost like they're like, oh, Peter did that again. Like, let me write that down. <laughs> like, you know, oh, you think you're in charge, Peter? I'm like, okay. You know, and so we have all this evidence of Peter. He said the wrong thing at the wrong time, like all the time. Okay? And, and, and the moments like when Jesus is betrayed, Peter's like, all right, let me, let me cut this guy's ear off. Like, he just jumps in, and I'm like, yeah, that makes so much sense. Let's go UFC on this guy. Like, it makes so much sense. I mean, everybody else is like cowering in the corner, and it's like, look, there's Peter. But then as well, Peter is also the one who stands in the courtyard and denies knowing Jesus. And some of us, that's kind of how we feel sometimes at Christmas and Advent. Is we're fighting and we're struggling for hope. And when Peter writes his letter, he writes his letter about how God changes us. And God changes us and meets us in our places of weariness and hopelessness. And this is what Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 1. He says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Because of his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. And so he says, Blessed be our God and Father, our Lord Jesus Christ, because of his great mercy. He says we should thank God because he causes us to be born again. He causes us to be transformed. Now, why would he say that? Because a lot of us have this idea, our culture has this idea that if you're just a good person, then you'll be made right with God. If you're a good person, if your good works outweigh your bad works, then you'll be okay. You'll get to heaven. 
If I'm just a good person. You know, God just wants good people. We have this idea. And some of us also have this idea that if we just, if we do enough, we can show God. And we do this as Christians too. We're like, well, let me just show God that I was worth saving. Let me do enough good things after God has saved me to show him that like Jesus, you know, for sure was right to save me, God. But Peter says, no, no, no. God saved you by his mercy. And mercy is this picture of withholding punishment when it is completely deserved. And we show mercy all the time at Christmas, don't we? I mean, you bought a gift for a person you don't want to buy a gift for, right? You did. It might just be a gift card, but you got it for them. And that's mercy. But God's mercy is so much deeper than that. It's giving grace when grace is completely undeserved. And, and here's why I love that Peter starts his letter by saying, in his great mercy, he saved us. Because we all often have this idea that God is just up in heaven with his arms just folded. Like a scowl on his face. Like we read the, we read the passages about Jesus being a judge. We're like, yeah, like I can see God just judging people and smiting people. And... But instead, he says, no, 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 he's not a disappointed dad. He has great mercy. And Peter tells us that we are blessed <clears throat> and to thank God our Father because he has given us an inheritance. See, an inheritance is what you give to your children. And Peter says that God has given us an inheritance as a child of God, as a son of God, as a daughter of God, and that inheritance, this is what's so hard for us to fathom, that inheritance is exactly the inheritance that Jesus the Son receives. Okay? So the access, I want you to hear this, the access and the relationship that Jesus the Son has with God the Father is the access and the relationship that you and I get to have with God the Father. Like we, uh, oftentimes we, we, we think, man, like I can't even, it is even hard for me to even like grasp what that means. That you and I are able to walk into the throne room of God and ask anything. To ask anything. And I want you to think about this because he says, blessed be the God and Father. And, and for some of us, that word Father is a loaded word. It is a, it is a word that is hard for us to even go, you know what, I don't, I don't have a great dad. I don't have a great relationship with my dad. In fact, I can't imagine asking my dad for anything. I can't imagine my dad even telling me that he was proud of me or that he loved me or that I can't imagine my dad even being affectionate. Maybe for you, you grew up and you thought, you know what, I've, my dad never told me that he loved me. And so you come to God and you're like, well, if that's how God is as a father, I don't want anything to do with that. But he says, no, no, no. Our Father in heaven has mercy. Has mercy. And so no matter what our earthly father is like, he says, your heavenly father has mercy. He has given you new birth. With not asking anything in return. You didn't give anything to get new birth. But maybe for you to get stuff from your dad, you, you had to do certain things. You had to show that you were a certain way. You had to be a certain way. You had to be a better child than your siblings so that way you could be like the golden child. And Peter says, no, no, no. 
your heavenly Father just gives mercy. Well, when does the mercy run out? Well, that's the thing about mercy. It just doesn't run out. But here's the thing about receiving grace and receiving mercy is some of us choose just not to receive it. See, to receive a gift, you have to have your hands open. See, I can hand you a gift, but if you don't receive the gift, like, I'm just standing there holding the gift. I'm going, does anybody want the gift? Like, who's going to take it? See, God hands us his mercy and grace, but we have to, we have to receive it. See, some of us, we, we come to God and we're, we're like this. And, and this describes how many of us relate to God. We go, no, no, no. Like, I'm, I'm, I'm keeping my arms in. I'm, I'm not, mm-mm. We're not getting close. We're not hugging. I'm not coming in. I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not receiving. But to receive the gift, we have to put our hands down. Because even just this, even just putting our hands down is opening ourselves up. We're unprotecting ourselves. And loosening our hands. But some of us right now, we have come to God and we're like, we'll, we'll see if we get close. We'll see. And he says, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. See, I want you to think about this. When Peter says that your new hope, your living hope, has been given to you through the resurrection of Jesus from the dead, this is what that means. That means that the moment that Jesus rose from the dead, you were made right with God, that the opportunity to be made right with God happened. See, many times we focus, when we talk about communion, when we talk about Jesus, we focus on his death. And his death was incredibly important, but if Jesus hadn't risen from the dead, there is absolutely no hope. If Jesus hadn't risen from the dead, there's no hope that he will one day return. And I want you to think about this. When he says that there is a new hope, there is a new birth, this is, Peter is like the greatest sinner that the disciples had. I mean, I want you to picture this. On the night that Jesus is betrayed, and, and Peter is standing there, and, he, and, he's, and he's supposed to like stay on, stand watch with Jesus, and he falls asleep. And Jesus comes and says, hey, like, guys, could you like stay awake for a little while? And Peter's like, all right, we got him. Yeah, we'll, we'll stay awake. And he falls asleep again. And, and then, as kind of a way to like make up for it, because this is what I love about Peter. Well, I'll make up for it, okay? Like, so I fell asleep and like I didn't see the people sneaking up on us. So let me cut the dude's ear off. So he cuts the guy's ear off, which is not at all. Jesus is like, well, I'll just, I'll heal the ear. Like that's, he's like, just put away your sword, Peter. Like that's not what we're doing. And I'm sure at that moment, he's thinking, man, I should have stayed awake. <laughs> he's beating himself up. So then what does he do? As Jesus is arrested and taken to the temple, he, he starts to follow along. He follows him. He stays at a distance that the gospel writers tell us. And then he gets into the courtyard where, and he's standing around the fire. And they're questioning Jesus, and he's off in the building. And the people around the fire, they're like, hey, aren't you like with Jesus? He's like, I'm not with Jesus. Now notice, None of the other disciples are with Peter. Okay, like they all, they all bailed. And then Peter's saying, they're like, no, 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 like you, you sound like he, one of them. You sound like you're from Galilee. You have to be. He's like, I'm not from Galilee. And then, I love what the gospel writer said. They ask a third time. And it says that Peter got angry and says, I don't know who he is. And it says in that moment, 
he looked up and he saw Jesus looking at him. That has to be one of the lowest moments recorded in the Bible. I mean, imagine for a moment you say something awful three times about somebody that's close to you, a loved one, and after the third time, you lock eyes with them. Imagine just the relational destruction that Peter felt. Where he's thinking, man, I fell asleep. (laughs) I wasn't there. I cut a guy's ear off, and that was obviously not the right thing. Like, because Jesus didn't go, good job, Peter. And then I denied knowing Jesus, and it says he ran out. And the next time he saw Jesus, he's standing at the cross. But then, in John 21, one of the most amazing passages in Scripture, after Jesus' resurrection, after he appears to 500 people, he comes to Peter in John 21 and asks him three times, do you love me? And Peter goes, yes, I love you. And he says again, Peter, do you love me? He says, yes, you know I do. And he asks him again. And then it tells us in John 21 the anguish that Peter felt. The anguish. And so this is what, this is who writes this. The person who denied Jesus, who is then one day crucified upside down, writes, you have been given a living hope. And here's what we think. We, we come to Advent and Christmas, and we go, well, how, how could God have grace for me? I've done so many awful things. Here's Peter. Yeah, I denied him three times. <laughs> and he gave me grace. I failed him. I fell asleep. How many of us have been like, man, I failed God. Like, I missed my chance. Like, I didn't, I didn't do what he asked me to do. Like, I was this awful parent. I did this. I, you know, I did that. And he goes, you have this living hope. See, God didn't quit. And then he says in verse 5, I love this. He says, you are being guarded by God's power through faith for a salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. He says, you are being guarded. This is the Advent hope that we have as we sit and we wait. He says, you are being guarded. That same power, the word power, is referring to the power that raised Jesus from the dead. Okay? So the same power that raised Jesus from the dead, the same power that saved you is the same power that guards you. Now here's what we feel in the midst of suffering, in the midst of waiting, in the midst of longing, is we feel unguarded. And Peter says, no, no, no. The same power that resurrected Jesus from the dead is the same power that guards you and keeps you. And and so if you have ever felt unguarded, you have ever felt like your flank was just left open, Peter says, no, no, no. God guards you. God holds you. When you guard something, I mean, you, you like surround it. He says, God is guarding you. This is where, as a follower of Jesus, as we wait, as the people of God waited, Peter says, you are guarded. You are guarded. You are protected. And this is why this is so important, because he says in verse 6, you rejoice in this, even though now for a short time, if necessary, you suffer grief in various trials. So that the proven character of your faith, more valuable than gold, which though perishable, is refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor in the revelation of Jesus Christ. This verse is the picture of Advent of the weary world rejoicing. 
He says, you rejoice in this. Why? Because if necessary, you suffer grief. See, I lo- lo- Peter's words are, are fascinating to me. He says, if necessary, and we think, I don't really feel like grief and suffering should be necessary, Peter. <laughs> like, why is that necessary? But he says, if necessary, you suffer grief. And what he's saying is, you and I should not be surprised when grief comes. There's a good chance that this Christmas season, this Advent season, you will have grief. That you will have grief. There's a good chance that somebody close to you will say something hurtful to you. There's a good chance that you will cry. There's a good chance that you will suffer. He says, you suffer grief in various trials. And we go, well, what, what are they? They're going to be various. But it's only a short time. It's only a short time. But he says, it will happen. And we shouldn't be surprised. And here's what we do when it happens is, like I said, we try to protect ourselves. We try to keep it away. We try to say, well, we'll say things like, well, that's just life. That's just life. You know, my Christmas isn't as bad as someone else's Christmas. You know, my family, you know, yeah, they, they're, but they're not as bad as everybody else's family. I mean, do you, do you know that other family? Have you heard about them? And so we'll try to protect ourselves that way instead of actually sitting there. Or we'll say things like, well, at least I don't. You know, at least I'm not like your friend's husband. You know, at least I'm not like them. Or this is one of the things I'll do. I, I got this. I don't need your help. But the cross and the resurrection of Jesus tells us that we need help. Or we'll do this. I should be, just fill in the blank, I should be more grateful. I should be happier. I should be more joyful. And when we say these things, when we say things like, that's life, or I should be this, or I should be that, or, you know, I'm not like that, when we say those things, it actually keeps us from saying, Jesus, I'm stuck. Jesus, I'm sad. Jesus, this really hurts. (laughs) Jesus, I really wish that they were still here. God, I really wish that that person would call. I really wish that that hole in my heart would actually heal up. When we say those things, we actually keep ourselves from entering into God's mercy. Keep our arms up. Say, that's life. I got this. Instead, Peter says, we get to walk into the throne room of our Heavenly Father, and we get to look up at Him and say, this is a lot. I'm tired of waiting. I'm really tired. This is hard. But he says, it proves the character of our faith so that it is more valuable than gold, is refined by fire, which may result in praise, glory, and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And whenever the New Testament says the revelation of Jesus Christ It refers to Jesus' birth, his miracles in life, his death, his resurrection, and his return. 
So Peter says, yes, we are lamenting, we are grieving, we are suffering, we are in pain, but we know that Jesus is coming again. We know that Jesus will return, and when he does, what Scripture tells us is that there will be no more death, there will be no more cancer, no more betrayal, no more hurt, no more stabbing in the back, no more gossip, no more whatever it is that you woke up with today and said, I wish this wasn't here. He says, we cling to this hope. And so, Advent is this picture that every promise God has given was fulfilled. And so we cling to knowing that God said, the Messiah is coming. And he did. And scripture says, and Jesus will return again. And we rejoice. We know he's going to return. We know. But we also grieve and suffer and are weary in the midst of it. And so this Advent season, here's how I want us to close as we prepare for communion. Our hope in this series is to bring some of the darker, more difficult emotions that we carry at Advent and see how God meets us in those places. And so for you, maybe you came in here today and you, you're just excited about Advent. You're excited about Christmas. And you need to rejoice. And you're in, you're in verse 3, you're thanking God. You're saying, God, thank you. Thank you for your blessings. Thank you for your love. Thank you for how you have pursued me. Thank you for how you have rescued me. And so you're thanking. But then for others of us, we're in the place of verse 6 going, how many trials am I walking through? How much grief am I carrying? But both, both ends of that spectrum are in the place of worshiping and waiting for the return of Jesus.